When I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, my my family decided to take a traveling uh, Christmas break. So we decided. I mean, you know, big family. We decided we're going to go somewhere else for Christmas. So everyone came to my house before we left, and it was just chaos. Um, you know, whenever your family comes over, you got to give up your own bed. And I slept, I slept in the attic. Uh, and uh, woke up, and everybody was gone. And uh, they were on a flight. And my mom, like, halfway there was like, Kevin, which that's what she called me. Um, she, she, uh, she, okay, stop doing it. Have, have you seen Home Alone? Okay. That story is, is a crazy story. I don't know if you watched it recently, but those people are horrible parents. Like, they are so bad. Now, Kevin, apparently... From just the, you know, the 90 minutes I had with him was a horrible human being, too. Um, There is some sadism in his traps he sets for those burglars that, like, I couldn't have come up with at at his age. There was tar. Where did he get tar and nails and light, like, ornaments to stick? He had a flamethrower. But anyway, the, the whole story of Home Alone, if you haven't seen it, is a kid gets left home alone and he shaves a couple of times and he he goes uh he, he goes about his business but at night he's trying to fend off these uh these burglars who are driving around the neighborhood in midday with the creepiest van ever how they weren't caught there's been a slew of bur- bur- burglaries there's one van just slowly driving around the neighborhood just cuff those guys but anyway kevin's having to deal with these guys and and all the while his mom's trying to get back home and he he wards them off and he befriends this neighbor who he thought was trying to kill him y'all don't remember that part got the snow shovel you know okay and the movie has a beginning and then it has a middle and it has an end. It has a place that, from which it takes off and it has a place where it lands. And, every, and it's just perfect. This kid wards off the, uh, spoiler alert, he, he lives and the guys uh, go to jail and the, the old man next door um, talks to his daughter and the family comes home and Kevin has cleaned um, it is it is a it is a beautiful story that ha- is a is a story. Now, if we told the story, which I don't know why we would tell the story of um, of Kevin to our kids, but if we were to tell the story of Home Alone, say Netflix, uh, you you know went up a dollar now, and you don't want to ha- play pay it anymore, so let's not watch Home Alone anymore. Um, and the kids, I'm just going to tell you the story. If we told our kids the story of Home Alone the way we tell our kids the story of the Bible, we wouldn't start at the beginning. And the beginning would have no effect on the end. And the little bits and pieces in between, we would say, hey, well, let me tell you a story about Kevin. Kevin went to the pharmacy and he wanted to buy a toothbrush, but he wanted to make sure that the toothbrush 
was was okay by the National Dental Society, which isn't a real thing, I don't think. But he wanted to make sure that they had tested that this that this toothbrush was the right sort of toothbrush. And we would say, see, he was responsible. Here's a picture of Kevin for you to color. And that's how we would do the story of Home Alone in church. There was one time Kevin decided to go to church. Now, we might leave out the fact that he was beaten chased by two homicidal maniacs. But there was one time Kevin went into a church and he saw a man that he was afraid of. But the man came and sat beside him and they had a great talk about um, about his granddaughter singing there in the choir. That redheaded girl that I had a crush on when I was young. Is that too much information? I was a child. I don't anymore. That redheaded girl in the choir. That's my granddaughter. I don't get to see her much. Why not? Me and her mom had a falling out. Kevin had a wise word for that young man. For that man about reconciliation. And we would say, see, color that picture. And see, we, we, take, we take scripture in chunks and we say, well, see, look at here. And what happens oftentimes is we are looking for small little moral victories in these bigger stories. And they are there, but there's a big thing happening throughout the Bible that if we start at the beginning and run our way through, if you haven't, if you haven't um, started with the story, we are early enough into it right now that I'm going to say... This is where I'm, today we're doing chapter four, which is the Exodus. You need to read one, two, three. You know, once we get to 12, I might say, okay, come talk to me. I'll give you a real quick summary of it. But if you're in chapter, if you want to read chapter four, read chapter one, two, and three. You'll find it's not, I mean, it doesn't take long at all. Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not a hard read. But we have to see the big perspective instead of saying, well, here's here's creation. Here's Adam and Eve. And let's tell that story. And then here's here's uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then we have um, then we have the uh, Jacob and Esau. No, not Jacob and Esau. Cain and Abel. We have Cain and Abel. And with Noah, Tower of Babel, Abraham, we have Isaac and Jacob. We got Lot thrown in there. And we've got, we, we tell, instead of telling these individual stories, this year we're focusing on this big narrative, this big arc. And for today, when we get, uh, when we get into it, I want you to see something big that's happening from Genesis 1 all the way through, um, a quarter of the way through Exodus. Um. And it's important. But it all jumps out at me from this one thing that keeps happening in Exodus. And it has to do with the heart of Pharaoh. I want to um, you go to the next slide, please, while I get caught up here. All right, there we go. Um, Exodus 4.21. Now, we, we've, we know the story. The people of Israel are... If you don't know the story, here, we, we'll do it real quick. The people of Israel are in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for about 400 years. And at, after that, they've been thriving and they've been flourishing. And then one Pharaoh comes along and is worried about them. He's afraid of them as a people. And so he enslaves them. And they... Uh, 
they cry out. And they, so they weren't, they weren't slaves the whole time they were in Egypt. They were successful for the, most, for the most part. But God hears their cry and he, he comes to Moses. Moses was, uh, uh, was a baby in a boat that, uh, read, you'll find out. He was a baby in a boat that uh, made its way uh, down to the Egyptian princess and she took uh, Moses in. And then he, then he killed a guy, which turns out you're not supposed to do. And he was run out of town. And while he was out of town, he runs into God and God says, um, I want, I'm, I'm going to deliver the people and you're going to do it. Now, Moses' reaction is, no, well, um, why me? Because I'm with you. Go ahead, go. And he said, but I can't speak very well, which a lot of people think this means he had an impediment of some sort. But if you were raised um, in an Egyptian household, there's a good chance you weren't that good at speaking Hebrew. It's probably a linguistic problem. So he can't speak very well. He says, God, I can't do it. And he says, all right, what about Aaron? Aaron can speak. How about that? Your brother, who lived with the Hebrew family, can handle this. So y'all go do this together and y'all go to Pharaoh and y'all tell him to let my people go. And we know about all about the plagues and that everything just kept getting worse. There was there was gnats and the blood and um, guts and all. It was awful. What there were. And there, there was all this all this awful things happening. And then finally Pharaoh says, go Y'all need to get out of here. And they say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then they, they go. And then they get out in the desert and Pharaoh says, nope, I'm going to go after you. And then he, they, they, uh, they cross the Red Sea because it parts naturally. And um, then they cross the Red Sea and the people drive in and the waters uh, collapse down upon them. But all throughout the story, there's this weird little thing that happens that God says he does. Seems odd. Verse 21 of chapter 4 says, The Lord said to Moses, Yeah, the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. At this point, it's just like throw a snake on, throw a staff on the ground, it turns into a snake, which is awesome. And then um, put your hand in your jacket and bring it out, and it's got an illness, and then you put it back in, it's clean. And then God says, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I have a question, God. You are sending me to get Pharaoh to let these people go. And you're going to be playing defense the whole time. Why... You know what? Let's stop the question there. Why? Why are you hardening Pharaoh's heart? It seems like it would be a lot easier if you softened it. And if you made him say, oh, you know what? That's right. If you can do something with his heart, you could either stop it or soften it. And we would be better off. It would be easier for us if you just did that. Then again, in Exodus chapter 10, I can do that. 
the Lord said to Pharaoh, or said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. All right, we're getting a glimpse of it here. So that I may perform these signs of uh, mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Okay, real quick. You see how that's all caps, Lord? That's um, in most Bibles, all caps, well, yeah, most Bibles, most modern English Bibles, if, it, if it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's uh, a stand-in for a word that we don't really know how to translate and we don't know how to, uh, we don't know how to pronounce it even. Um, the, the word is in Hebrew, yod Hey wah Hey which is, um, if you just pronounce it straight across, it's Yahweh. Um, but they didn't want to say the na- name of God. So they put the vowels for Adonai, which is Lord, on there. And if you pronounce Yahweh with the vowels for Adonai, you get Yehovah or Jehovah. Um, anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is God's name. yod Hey Wah. Hey, we don't really know exactly how to pronounce it, but the best, the best shot we have is Yahweh. The best, um, um, best we've done is Yahweh. So, he says, you will know that I am Yahweh. The name of God. Okay, Exodus 10. He does this, uh, it, it, that first comes up whenever, whenever remember when Moses says, what, if the people ask, what, who sends me? What am I to say? Do you remember the conversation God, Moses had with God? Um, Moses says, who am I? And God says, I am with you. And so Moses asks the best follow-up question ever. Who are you? And he said, I am who I am. And then he goes on and says, you tell them that Yahweh sent you. It's a big moment in the Hebrew text that we don't really see in the English text. Um, Exodus 11. Yahweh has said to Moses, has said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Verse chapter 14 verses. Oh, well, actually, let's. Yeah, let's keep going with that. Then the then Yahweh said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth, which you got to say it like that with a because it's a different letter. Between Migdal and the sea, and they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Lord, again? We made it out. And he will pursue them. Seriously? But I will gain glory for myself. Through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt. Where did they go? 
Don't they? Okay. When the king king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have lost. We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took an army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt and the officers all over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Egypt, of of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The, The Lord, Yahweh, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Sometimes I say to my children, you're making this more complicated than it has to be. They don't understand a word of that sentence. (laughs) Rachel laughs at me all the time um, because (laughs) I say things that my kids don't understand and feel proud of myself. (laughs) Like I parented. She's like, they don't. Like the other day I said, said, um, you know, a nap is not off the table. Rachel's like, they don't know that phrase. Said it's still up in the air. She's like, they don't know that one either. Just go to your room and I'll do the words. But like, sometimes at this point in the story, I'd want to say to God, God, you're making this more complicated than it has to be. If your goal is to free us, this has been bad. You've gone the longest way possible. If your goal is to free the Israelite people from slavery, you could have done it. Maybe we could do plague 10 first. Maybe after plague one, you wouldn't harden his heart. And we would have walked out of here a couple of weeks from now. A couple of weeks ago. Why in the world are you hardening Pharaoh's heart? Okay, two things to notice here. I keep saying Pharaoh like that's his name. We have no idea what this Pharaoh's name is. It's not given to us in the text. We can make some guesses as far as dates go, but they, even when you do that, it really doesn't all that, all, line up all that well. Who is This guy. Let me tell you about Pharaoh. Now whether it was Ramses. Or King Tut. Which. If you didn't picture Steve Martin. When I said King Tut. Then we can't be friends. That's just a rule. Whether it was Ramses or King Tut. um, Or. Took the common. you, You have. Like. We have on the throne in Egypt, which Egypt was at the time, the most powerful nation, army, uh, financial, uh, commerce, like most powerful everything everywhere. They ruled everything. And atop of that throne set a God. Not God, but set Pharaoh, who was God in flesh. And so when Pharaoh spoke, he wasn't getting a word from God. He was God. All the other gods gave him the authority. And he um, was all the other gods just channeled and he could 
He, he, when he spoke, it was like um, El and Amen and all Ra were all in the room speaking. He was God. And when Pharaoh said to do something, no one argued with him because God was speaking. The God of the Egyptians was speaking. Now, if you've been paying attention to the whole story, God creates everything and sets it up in order. That God is to rule over man and man is to rule over the ground and all the animals. And then, really quickly, and again, I'm going to give credit to John for this one because that was, he pointed this out to me. Really quickly, man started listening to the animals. Remember the conversation with the snake? Man started listening to animals and then tried to become God themselves. They thought that to become God, to become what they wanted, they had to listen to what was beneath them. So now, by the time we get to Egypt, the whole world is worshiping cats. Yeah, hairball. <laughs> the, whole, the whole world is worshiping this, like, like these the structures that aren't, even, that aren't even man. That we bow down to the things that we, we should be masters of. We have become servants of the things that, are, that make horrible masters. That, we, that should be serving us. That's why it's fantastic that we're doing financial peace. Because a lot of you are servants to your money. And you need to be the master of it. Like fire. Makes a fantastic servant but a horrible master. So does money. A lot of other things in this world that we worship, that we serve, make horrible gods. But we have flipped the whole order and God comes marching in. And it's not just that he wants them to be free. It's that he's setting the order back in place. He said, I'm going to show you who should be worshipped. I'm going to show you who should be Honored, who should be um, respected, who should be glorified. And whenever he hardens Pharaoh's heart, a lot of time it is so that you will know what I did. But it's like he knocks Pharaoh down and then he's like, no, you get back up. I'm going to knock you down again. Because look what would happen if Pharaoh was benevolent. Who would get the glory? If Pharaoh was, came to his senses, who would get the glory? Yeah, maybe God, we might give God credit for making Pharaoh come to his senses, but that Pharaoh really turned it around. God needed to be victorious. God needed to, be, to, to flip the order back in its proper spot. The world needed God to come in, Yahweh to come in and be worshipped. And there needed to be no question as to who is to be served. To who, who is the master. And who is the servant. God's not just rescuing the people from Egypt. He's coming and 
putting created order back into its original place. There are things you worship that make horrific gods. There are things that you honor that make horrific uh, kings. They're not worth your time. Now they can serve you. You can be in control of them. But the things that you worship that aren't God will bring you to destruction. And as you read the story, you will see that the the ark is based on God deserves worship. And people keep trying to quit doing that. They keep trying to worship other things. And that's what gets us in trouble. Your money, your health, your comfort. I think we worship comfort, don't we? What is it in your life that God needs to come and be victorious over? Name it. What is it in your life that you are worshiping that God needs to give a good whooping? What in your life needs to be bent and submitted by plagues? Because if you worship your comfort, getting out of that, will be uncomfortable. If you worship your health, getting out of that may be unhealthy. In the end, we've even made God the God who likes to make us happy, the God who likes to, um, to, to make us healthy, the God who likes to make us rich. I don't think that's the same God who Paul says about, I can, whether rich or poor, I can serve God in any situation. Because God is God no matter what my situation is. When, when God rescues those people, He's not just setting them free from slavery physical slavery, he's setting them free from the slavery of, of idolatry. The man is no longer, man is no longer to be worshipped. The sake, like the things that are beneath you are to no longer to be worshipped. But Yahweh, the personal character of God. See, for God, salvation isn't just making you more comfortable Salvation is making you more holy and making you worship God. Look at the, when, when, um, when God first calls Moses, if we can go all the way back, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be, my, be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, You will worship God on this mountain. Notice he doesn't say, when you brought the people out of Egypt, I have some laws for you. We'll get to those next week. 
He doesn't say when you have brought the people out of Egypt, we will, um, uh, I will, I will, uh, you've got to, you've got to do these certain things and then worship this certain way and then say this certain phrase. So when you brought the people out of Egypt, come back here and they will worship me. I think what gets us in trouble sometimes is that we deep down would love to be rescued. But because we worship the things we need rescuing from, we won't accept it when it shows its face. Because we deep down love the things that we worship. And so we want to be rescued, but... Rescuing means that we've got to find a new God to worship. And for me, that God, the only God that has ever lived up to, to, what, to, the, to the billing, that's an awful way to phrase it, but he has lived up to what has been said about him. The only God like that is the one who sent his son to die for us according to the scriptures. And on the third day was resurrected, conquering death. If you think, man, I've got this thing I need to quit doing. There's a good chance that your next, your question should actually be, what am I worshiping that I don't need to worship? What have I exalted that does not need exaltation? What is my master that makes a horrible master that should be my servant? Because you need rescuing. And you need to worship God. Forgiveness of sins. The redemption that we find in Jesus is often um, connected to the Exodus. And we'll say... So yeah, just like in the Exodus, we were brought out of our slavery. But just like the Israelites, we often say, but they had potted meats back there. We had water and we were comfortable. Oh, no, we had to work really hard. And every time they complained, God showed up and did something that made them worship God again. You need to find, if you're struggling with something, um, some sin, some, some struggle, some uh, life problem that you just want God to relieve you of. Don't ask for exodus without the final goal of worship. Don't ask for forgiveness without the final goal of exalting God. Because you won't find really what you're looking for because you'll get out in the desert and you'll just start worshiping some golden calf. Spoiler alert, next week they worship a golden calf. And it, it again, created order being flipped on its head. And God is constantly fighting to be the top spot in your life. For some reason, you keep putting, we keep putting things there that don't belong. So this week, 
you need to make God your master. You need to make God your king. And if you've got some other king that you need the church, you need the church to stand with you and say, we're going we're gonna to knock that king off of his throne for you, with you. Don't fight that battle alone. If you've, got, if you've got a God on the throne that's not Yahweh, then you need a church. You need your church to stand with you. You need your church to stand behind you, and you need a Savior to, pull, to walk you out of your slavery. His name is Jesus. And he died on the cross for you so that you can be with God, that you can worship God. He conquered death for you so that you can be with God forever. Lunch can wait. The king cannot. Please come forward while we stand and sing.